Hello, business builders. Welcome to the Zero to 5,000 podcast, where we interview founders of America's fastest growing companies. Our mission is to arm you with the tools and the confidence to scale your own venture. So to that end, every now and then, we gladly welcome a non-founder leader, thinker, or influencer to help you do just that. I'm Drew McClure. My co-host is Jordan Mitchell, and we hope you enjoy this episode. Okay, Chris, buddy, thank you so much for making it happen today and being on the podcast. Drew, Jordan, thanks for having me, and uh, thanks for the opportunity. Yeah, man, we're pumped. We've known each other um, in, in passing. We've met a few times, but I've known so many people that have worked for your organization and have just raved about it. I mean, literally, I was thinking this morning, I could name six or seven off the top of my head that have come through and been blessed by what you've created. So it's super fun for us. Uh, to have you on this podcast. And where I would love to start off uh, is actually something I've never heard before. Uh, but it's how did you start? Like, where did the idea come from? Maybe what were the events that even led up to you right out of college starting uh, Boosterthon? Yeah, well, what you just mentioned a minute ago uh, gives me the most joy of anything when someone says, you've got a great organization or you must have a great organization or you must have an amazing culture because I know a few of your people. And you're yep. right. People make the culture. Culture is the center of our bullseye. And I'm very biased, but I think I do have the best people in the world. They're amazing. <laughs> uh, virtuous leaders. I'll talk more about what the word virtue means for us in a little yeah. bit. But um, cool. uh, as an ENFP, Enneagram 7, uh, working with awesome people is so fun. And uh, if anybody's hearing this, and there's lots of motivations to, to take an idea and grow a business or grow an organization to the next level. Uh, and you can be motivated by a lot of factors, um, serving clients, solving a need, mm. um, earning money, um, giving back. I mean, all great, noble, if the intention's right, they're all great factors and we're all motivated by a, a mix of them. Uh, but what I just always, what captures my heart the most is giving opportunity to my team, the ability to work with a team that I enjoy, that I love, that I learn from, that makes me better, that challenges me. Mm. And it's um, to me, uh, probably those listening, if anybody's ever been in startup mode or if anybody's a founder, uh, an owner, a leader, there's a blend of personal and professional that is appropriate. And, uh, and I love it. I love yeah. that sometimes my friends are my team, team members and coworkers and five to nine or nine to five, the, the fact that it blends together uh, to me, the good of that outweighs the bad. And I, and I enjoy it. Certainly tricky at times. Got to, got to be uh, intentional, but you said it. Uh, yeah. you, if you know some of our team members, they're, they're amazing. And I'm really, really proud 100%. of them. They are, man. They're, they're, they're optimistic. They're high integrity. They're high energy. All things I know a seven on the Enneagram would love. Yes. Uh, <laughs> did you have that self-awareness uh, around what you wanted and what you wanted to create all the way back then? Or did you learn that as you, no, as you went? Uh, no, it grew. That's a great question. It grew. My, my awareness of who I was grew. Um, I did not seek out, let me, I'll jump to origin story and answer that question. Uh, I did not seek out to start a company. Uh, I had an idea and I wanted to push it as far as I could. So jump back in time to, uh, 2001, I grew up in South Florida, but I was a, a junior at Sanford University, Birmingham, Alabama. Yep. I played uh, a year of baseball at Sanford and then a year at UAB. Uh, then I realized I love baseball, but man, 
a lot of people are really good and a lot of people are better than me and this is pretty time consuming. And uh, so um, pursued other interests, started doing baseball lessons though, wanted to earn money mm. for a ring that would eventually become my, uh, uh, my fiance and, then, and now wife of 18 years. So man, I need to earn some money. Uh, and uh, what can I do? Well, I was always, always entrepreneurial. Entrepreneurial has always been in my DNA and blood. I mean, I've always mm. started things, tried things, whether it existed or not, didn't matter. If I had it in my head, I had to, I had to pursue it. So mm. uh, one day started giving baseball lessons to kids and saw that it fulfilled a lot of things. That the, the dads that would drop off the kids would say, this is unbelievable. His confidence is growing. Um, he's a better teammate. He's actually a better brother and he's more positive in the house and like, wow, this is so cool. And I'm like, this is just basics. But I, I quickly learned I had a platform to mm -hmm. speak some universal truths into these kids while I was teaching the skill of baseball. Yes. More than just how you hold a bat. It's about your attitude. It's about teamwork and so forth. So I, to me, that was the first moment that I had this blend of like, wow, if I'm good at what I do, I can mm -hmm. also be missional and make a difference. And both of those were fulfilling. Wow. I loved when the mom or dad would tell their friend, hey, my kid's hitting the baseball more. Uh, you, you should, your kid should check it out. So fast forward about a year, there was about 250 kids I was giving lessons to plus about six part-time employees. Again, I'm, I'm a 21 year old and this is super fun. If you ever been on a rocket ship, whatever the product or service is from baseball lessons to mowing yards, like when people start talking and buying your product and yes. you feel good about it and you feel like there's a mission, you're like, this is it. Yeah. So it was so fun figuring out a business model, um, figuring out character lessons I teach. Well, back to origin story. One day, one of those kids, his name was Carter Gannon. And I, you never forget the, the person that gives you the first idea. I yes. also remember Carter because he, 10 years later, worked for us for a few years, which is amazing. Ah, wow. And Carter says, yeah, hey, coach, school gets out. Uh, again, I'm a 21-year-old, and he's, in, he's probably 12, 11 years old or so. Uh, and he says, do you want to buy cookie dough, magazines, and wrapping paper for my school fundraiser? And I just instantly had the flashback to when I was in elementary school. And back then, the predominant way to raise funds was kids to sell stuff. Oh, yeah. And I thought, wow, they, this has been going on forever. This is a great school too. And I remembered that my school did that. And they also did a fun run through the PE department. Mm -hmm. So I called my dad, who was the booster club president, my mom, who was an educator and said, hey, do schools need to raise money? Why do they raise money? Who raises money? And then I just kind of learned the world of school fundraising that yes, there's always a gap, uh, rich or poor smaller, large school. Uh, there's always yeah. things schools could spend money on that they need that the, the fund existing funding mechanism doesn't fit. And at the time there was 30 years of product sales was the history. And there were a lot of schools that did uh, golf tournaments or fun runs, but there was not a national organization that did the work for them. So they relied mm -hmm. on volunteer hours. And if volunteers were giving money towards fundraising, then that time's coming away from something else. There was less time they could read to students, less time they could uh, organize events. So I, I started pitching schools. I got an idea. I'm 21. I've never done this before. I'm still in college. Your kids and your funding strategy are safe with me. And all these really gracious, kind people said, love it. Sounds good. Love your energy. Why don't you do it a few times and get back to us? Basically, I don't want to be your guinea pig. Yeah, right, right. 
And if anybody's ever started anything, new business, new idea, new concept, you just need the first client. If you believe it, like if just someone will give me credibility so it can go out of my head and I can say, so I remember saying, if I get one client, I'm going to take pictures. I'm going to video it. I'm going to let everyone know, like, so they can just see it. I need people to see what's in my head. Yeah. Proof of concept. Proof of concept before I knew what that was. Product market fit. Yeah. I didn't know any of this stuff. I just, I got it. I I can see it. Others have to see it. Yeah. So I I literally traveled around the Southeast, uh, met with anybody and everybody, uh, principal of a school, teacher at a school, parents whose kids go to school, got an idea, got an idea. Same, same thing was true. Love you. Good enthusiasm. Come back once you've done it. <laughs> Finally had a school in Birmingham say, all right, we'll give you a shot. Got to raise uh, $3,000 at the time. There's a big amount of money for this athletic department. Got to buy new equipment for our JV football team. Got to have it for summer. So, uh, but here's the catch kid you got to guarantee me the 3000 Now, 3000 to someone who's saving for an engagement ring. Wow. I said, of course, coach, I got it. Done. No sweat. Guaranteed. I uh, did not tell my now wife of 18 years that I was guaranteeing the, uh, the funds for her engagement ring, but did it. <laughs> uh, the school profited, believe it or not, more to my surprise than to theirs, 21000 school profit. So seven times what they expected. Whoa. And the concept was, let's, and it still exists now, you know, 18 years later, a whole lot more sophisticated campaigns. But at the end of the day, don't sell products. Ask sponsors to pledge you for the number of laps you run. So students run laps, you cut out the middleman. Everyone participates in the program. Even if they don't financially participate, they're all actively participating in it. So big health emphasis. And anyway, that was, that was the Man. very first, that was the first client. And, where were you when I was in high school, man? I had to sell onions. <laughs> I had to literally, for my soccer team, I had to sell bags of onions. And no, I was like, this is the this. Listen, this is I've the heard worst. it all. I don't think I've heard onions. I've heard everything, but onions. Yeah. Vidalia onions, which are, Vidalia onions are sweet, and they are good. But as a high school student, I was like, who wants onions? It. Yep. I had to do a strawberry sale. (laughs) I had to go pick up these giant bags. And what always end up happening is my dad would have to purchase like 13 out of the 15 of them. (laughs) Right, of course. So parents are doing it anyways, right? Yeah, that's right. Go to waste and you spend every Saturday selling onions. Well, that's right. Well, man, the other thing that's kind of crazy to just look at your your kind of trajectory as an entrepreneur and some of those early signs is Jordan and I in college as well started a company together that was very similar to your baseball. So instead of baseball, it was actually wakeboarding because we lived wow. on a lake, Clemson, and we started a wakeboarding company that gave instruction to middle school and high school age kids. Yep. And we did it for character development and faith development, and all this kind of stuff. And we got to the point where, one, we realized it wasn't a great business model because seven, eight months of the year, it wasn't warm. <laughs> and uh, so we had no revenue during that time. Uh, but we loved the coaching. We loved the people development uh, and taking things we were passionate about. And now all these years later, we're, we run a coaching company together where we invest in people development for fast growing companies. Yep. And you can see it back then. Like, oh, right. those, were, those seeds were planted back then of what we would be doing now. 2020 and, vision in the rear view mirror. Man, this was all for a purpose. And my life and all these little random things are now, you can kind of see clearly there's a path. But man, in the moment, you don't know what you're doing, right? Oh, not at all. Not at all. So here's, here's what I'm excited about. How did you take first, how did you take that rejection? Because one of the, it seems to be, in my opinion, 
one of the biggest killers of a business happens in that first stage. Yep. It's not even later. It's like right at the beginning when you're most insecure about the idea, when it's so vulnerable with cash on the line yep. and you got no after no after no. Was it just a personality? Like, do you just credit yeah. to like, I just didn't have trouble with it or did you have to choose some kind of resilience? No, every personality is different. I, uh, now I'm 40 and I have four kids and I, I know what I'm risking. I know what I have to lose. I had no idea. I was 21. Uh, I didn't have to really purchase too much stuff until I got a commitment from the school. And then I went out and, and purchased stuff. So, I mean, I was just, you know, totally uh, putting it together as I went along. But I, in my head, I knew it would work because as a kid, I had done a fun run and the concept wasn't crazy. And I just knew if someone could pull it off, I could pull it off. You need energy and enthusiasm, communication, motivational skills that fits in a little bit of organization that fits my skill set, and I can do it. So I was just so convinced that the concept could be done. In fact, it was done. I mean, fun runs are not new. An organization that would help and assist and host for them, that was the new concept. So that uh, wasn't such a stretch. It wasn't like no one's ever run before. People want to have fun. They do fun runs. It just usually they rely on a volunteer base. So that's, you know, sometimes an idea doesn't have to be as tabula rasa as it might seem. It might just be taking what others do and packaging it in such a way that, that makes sense, you know? Yeah. So, so that was oh, that's good. It, it, uh, no, I just, it didn't matter. I was going to, keep talking to people until someone said, we'll try it. Now, if I, and if it had failed like three or four times in a row and then the business model hadn't worked, you know, I might've given up, but I, I had to do it. I had to try it. And no matter what, I was going to talk some school into signing up, but I was, over, I don't know if I mentioned that I was over 50. It was the 50th school I met with 49 wow. rejections, but you know, they, even the rejections though, were, they were affirming like, this is a good idea, you know, come back to me in a year or two. So they were affirming the idea. They just didn't want to be the guinea pig. Mm. So. Yeah, I'm always, I'm, I'm always interested in that part because we do have a lot of people we've coached and are currently coaching. They're in a startup phase. Uh, the majority is with more uh, solidified companies and cultures that need people development. But it's hard to know, even as an outside perspective, when the data is telling you this is a bad idea yep. and when the data actually is lying to you and you just need that 51st person to give you that's right. Give you a shot, right? If I had done market research and look, I did a survey and 30 out of 30 said no. Well, you know, I'm glad I didn't know what I know now about business because I would not have done it. No, there, there's a lot of truth. Listen, if you're, if you're listening to this or watching this, and don't get over smart. Just, at the end of the day, just sell something. I mean, I literally, I've said, give this talk many times. If I can see a customer's eyes light up, their eyebrows go up, like that's a good idea, then I got something. And I can yeah. figure out the rest. If I can get someone excited about the possibility of maybe wanting to buy my product or service, then we can figure out the rest. Wow. I've, had, I've talked to so many entrepreneurs, like they spent, you know, six months in the business model and then, and then the supply chain and then the promotion. Like, have you sold one? Because the, you're, you're basing all, just, Start selling it. I really think those 49 no's, man, I had a really good sales presentation for that 50th meeting, right? And yeah, then yeah. You, know, you kind of build it sales meeting backwards. If the client doesn't get excited, it, you don't need to offer it as a, a part of your product. So, God, that's it, man. So we were talking to a guy that's become a friend named Dane Maxwell who just, he invests in entrepreneurs over and over again. And he flipped the script for us in a way that we didn't realize we had learned as we went, but the yep. way he categorized it, 
is that now nowadays, as cliche as that saying is, we do it backwards, which is we have an idea that we would say is the mechanism. Right. And then we try, to, we try to sell people or figure out what problem that solves. And then we try to figure out the customer. And he was like, no, 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 that's, that's, he's like the most, the thing you should be most willing to change is the mechanism, the idea. You first got to figure out who has a problem and what problem they would even identify they want solved. That's right. And then you can toy with how you're going to solve it. And he flips it. Right. And that's what you're doing too, which is like sell the idea first, then build the, the mechanism later. Is that right? And sometimes people don't know they have a problem that needs to be solved. Yeah, you know, I mean, we're, we're organizing a fun run. It's great. And we're selling products. And wait a minute, you can organize this entire fun, you know, program for me. And then once we had results that we raised twice as much money, here's all the value add to students. Then it became apparent. But wow. So how did you go from, let's just imagine for time's sake that you just keep compounding those results. You start selling more, you start selling more. When did you first start to dabble in now I've got to do a different kind of sales, which is recruiting team members, which is recruiting people to help me build oh, yeah. this. Oh, that was the most fun for me. Every personality is different, but that combined uh, my love of sales and my love of people and culture. I mean, I love recruiting. I love casting vision. I love talking about things that can be in the future if you join the mission and the team. And you start to get some confidence once people join in and their, your ideas and dreams and vision starts to be fulfilled. Your, mm. your, your vision just gets larger. So- Oh, I, yeah, I who love, were your first hires? Were they, were they other sales? Were they more people to go out to these schools uh, or infrastructure? Yeah, good. That's a great question. They were friends that I trusted. and I knew their character. None of us ever had any experience. I mean, for you, I don't know. I mean, I've probably hired 3000 people over. We have about a thousand employees, uh, in this season. Um, at least when schools get, get back into session season, uh, and of the 3000 or so booster team, I don't know if anybody's ever had fundraising experience. Mm. Uh, I look for character and I teach the competency. That's not, that's not the case for every business. Um, but you know, obviously our, we have a lot of really, really smart, you know, web engineers and programmers. They've done that before, but they don't have fundraising experience, of course. So mm. our field staff, are you good? You know, we just found out what was needed. Are you good with people? Do you love customer service? Are you engaging high work ethic, great energy level? Um, early on, this is a great decision. You really have to kind of come to, I'd say every time your company is going to grow 50%, you need to reassess, do I need more like or more complimentary? More like me, more complimentary. So my mm. early, early season was I need people just like me. Go sell, figure it out, be autonomous, be energetic, execute the program, uh, recruit a team and go. Then we got to a breaking point because I didn't have any ISTJs or uh, Enneagram sixes. We're all threes and eights and sevens and ENFPs and what could go wrong and whoops, what about the supply chain? What about uh, the details? What about process and systems? So mm. then we had to hire some complimentary pieces and, uh, and then, oh, okay, we got that figured out. Now we need to maybe grow and sell again. And so you're kind of shifting back and forth. And then, you know, of course, now at this season, it's we, we need both. We need a great mix of both. Yeah. I think first hires, like if it's just one person with an idea, more often than not, I'd say try to find someone like you. If if the like you is a uh, is a revenue sales type of person, just to multiply the front line. At the end of the day, you need customers. Yeah. And the sooner you can get a few customers to learn from and to keep tweaking, the better. Heck yeah! Well, that that reminds me of one of my the most interesting you know parts of your story, at least to date. 
uh, is around that time where you started hiring complimentary. And I believe from a past interview I heard with you, it was around the recession time. It was maybe a vulnerable part of the company's history. And that's when you found your current CFO. Oh, yeah. an Enneagram six, much different approach to life yep. uh, than you, but it's been a beautiful partnership. Can you take me into that and even, even what it was like before hiring him? Yeah, uh, sure. Great. I just spent the last four hours with him. Uh, if you go to Ian Cron's podcast on the Enneagram, um, I don't know. Probably typology. Typology. That's right. Yep. yep. Fall 2018, maybe spring 2019, something. I'm a seven. He's a six. Uh, and we talked about, you know, if you respect each other's differences and you know each other's roles, you're in the right fit. It's exactly who you need. I mean, Stan ran uh, early on operations, finance, risk management, even HR to some degree and some processes and systems fell underneath them. Just been with them with them all morning. And I, I, I have so much more confidence making decisions because I know he's in the room and he can he can be a steering wheel. Uh, to my ideas or energy and say, what about this direction, this direction? And I, I honestly don't feel too good when I'm in a room with people just like me. Uh, it's, a, it's an exciting room and it's a recipe for disaster. So yes. uh, Stan has, uh, has complimented uh, me extremely well and others, others like him. I mean, we just try to mm. balance out a, a diverse portfolio of talent uh, is, is what's needed for, for every season. But you, you have the luxury, the more teamers you have, of course, the more diverse and complimentary your team can be. Totally. Well, let's dive into this for a second. This, this is like what we get excited by is, is the, the team dynamics and talent optimization and all that kind of stuff. For people that aren't familiar with some of the, the maybe the, the language we're using, like Enneagram 7 or an ENFP or Connector Creative, right? Let's just take the 7 since you mentioned the typology. Uh, how would you describe yourself and what that means? Like, why would you resonate with a seven like personality? Sure. I'm a fan, by the way, of EQ. That's what I'm a fan of. Yes. And all these tests and assessment give you more self-knowledge of strengths and weaknesses. And the more self-aware you are, the more successful you'll be, you'll be at anything in life, personally or professionally. So, uh, tests, uh, and applications and assessments, uh, some are maybe more preferred than others. Uh, you know, I think the big picture of all that stuff is, do we want to build a culture of people that are self-aware? Self-aware yeah. people serve better, enjoy life more, build better cultures, build better chemistry, attract better teams. So self-awareness, EQ, that's the key. How do we become, a, become aware? Often authentic conversations, learning about ourselves, strength and weaknesses. So um, I've, I've always loved Myers-Briggs because I feel like it's simple, it's easy, and it's pretty universal. Um, love in this season Enneagram it's it's actually probably the oldest assessment I know of it's become more popular in the past few years for a few reasons the the large textbooks have been simplified Ian Cron and a few others Richard Rohr made some really good yep uh headway into Susan stuff yep and I'll tell you what I love about Enneagram specifically is that it tells you the healthy and unhealthy version of your type so I can see, and it tells you where does your type go under stress? Where does your type go under uh, when you're healthy? But okay, I'm, I'm a seven. So just an example, seven is an enthusiast, um, m usually extroverted, usually people loving, anticipation, ideas, future, excitement, what could be possibility, opportunity, mm. that stuff that sevens love. Now the unhealthy version of myself, uh, there's like a, there's a deadly sin in a sense uh, that's attached to each 
And so the, the unhealthy version of seven is gluttony. And that doesn't just mean the food gluttony. It means overdoing anything. Mm. Oh, that, so if you, yeah, the, Ian Cron says, if you don't know what you are, look at the unhealthy version of yourself and whatever stings the most, that's probably what you are. So when I'm doing so much opportunity, future vision, that I overdo things. Yes. It, I'm not balanced. I'm not healthy, right? So, but the healthy version of me is bringing life and energy and joy and vision to people. So uh, I think that's what, one of the reasons that specific uh, type has caught on recently because they're all good. They're all needed. You can be a, yeah. always be a healthier version of yourself. So that leads to, again, why this actually applies to business. I can really quickly get the picture if you're a seven leading with like-minded people that you had a lot of growth really fast. Yep. You probably had tons of fun, confetti everywhere and you know colors streaming and all that kind of stuff right you're not uh, speaking metaphorically we have confetti cannons in every office of our home <laughs> there is confetti caught in the light bulbs uh in the in the rafters of the roof in our office that's true. ah i, I didn't yeah. know that but that's a, that's brilliant um but it could also mean there was probably some glaring vulnerabilities yep. as the business was growing that maybe the seven didn't see yeah is that maybe blind where the spot, six came blind, in? Blind, blind. you know I, I i don't think our failures kill us uh, because you can become aware of your failures or your areas of, of uh, weakness, let's say. I think it's our blind spots that uh, have the greatest propensity to hurt a person or an organization. So self-awareness and community, right? Not doing it, even if you're a lone entrepreneur, you got to have someone, uh, maybe it's just a spouse or a roommate or a friend or an informal board, a personal advisory board, something, uh, because, you know, aloneness, uh, won't help, but being around people to call out, not, not your weaknesses, taking your weaknesses and managing them is okay. It's, it's really your blind spots that derail you. Yeah, that's gold. Yeah, that's, uh, that's really good. I think the, just to hammer that home for, for everybody too, just realizing like so many people talk about focusing on strengths and I'm actually a huge believer in focusing on strengths and then they want to learn their weaknesses because they want to kind of delegate those. But actually, there's a, this other conversation that's a deeper conversation um, that people maybe because it's a deeper, they stay away from is, hey, what are my blind spots in terms of what am I going to be missing? And then I guess to, to kind of hammer on what you were saying, community is the thing that it's the, the passenger seat to say, hey, there's a car over there that you're not seeing. That's right. Well, the reason people don't know what their blind spots are is because they're blind spots. That's the point. And <laughs> yeah, so right. you can't discover your blind spots in isolation. Yeah. You have to, but that's what's so great about starting an organization. If you work with people, you'll quickly discover them. And then if you have the humility to work through them, you can move them from the blind spot category to the weakness category. And that, that's success right there. Here's yeah. my own weakness. I'm not good at organizing. I'm not good at systems. Uh, I'm not good at sequencing. I often say my, my president, Stephen, uh, he's the perfect uh, compliment to me so, uh, on the operations side, the same way that Stan is on the finance side, um, because their strengths are my weaknesses so yeah. i can i can delegate them uh, to them and let me let me ask this then because this is okay so it's super easy to see why a six which a six is going to be loyal but they're also going to be a risk averse they're going to be more pragmatic they're going to be more detail oriented it's like from a a cold numbers standpoint it's a match made in heaven yep but there's so many executive teams we work with where their experience of that other personality, whether they're the visionary, it might be the words they use, someone like you, versus more of the, the guardian or the yeah, you know, more detailed person, they, they really dislike each other. 
right? Uh, Where it feels like, oh man, every time I have a great big idea, you just, you pop a hole in my balloon, you know? Or, you know, the visionaries look, you know, the other way around or the guardians looking at the visionary like, you're so flaky or you're, and, yeah. and it's like the unhealthy version of that relationship. That's right. Like, how do we transform those relationships where they actually are compliments instead of feeling like they're kind of thorns in the side? You, you know, you, you have to have, um, I mean, we're having this, we're having this conversation in America, 2020, July, 2020 of America right now, uh, in race in racism and anti-racism. And at the end of the day, it comes down to valuing human beings. Everyone is uniquely created, right? Color, wiring, creed, gender. Can, do I have the humility to listen and learn from someone that looks or acts or thinks different than me? So, I, I mean, I honestly believe so much of the world's problems would start, start to be solved if we started with humility. I just feel like that's the, that's yeah. the place to start. I don't know it all. I can learn from others. I look wow. forward to learning from others. I want to put myself in a position to learn from others. I want to listen more than I speak, take notes. So I'd say those uh, sparks that fly, they don't fly when you have a posture of humility. You appreciate and you say, well, tell me more. Tell me why. And ultimately, someone's going to make a decision. But, but respect, even respect comes from humility. That mm. And you have something about you that is unique in a different perspective. And thank goodness, we don't want to eat the same meal every day or go to the same destination every day. We don't want to work with the same people every day. And we like the idea that we're all uniquely created in different ways. So I think humility and appreciation of, of each other. If you're talking to a business owner right now, I'd just be curious whether they're starting a company or they currently have one, how do you build that into your culture? That humility, that, uh, that posture, because you know, I'm sure you, you've experienced this with other cultures. It's often dog eat dog. It's often like, I can't show you my vulnerability because I think you're going to use it against me. And so we almost set up combatant relationships inside of teams yeah. versus collaborative. It's sad. But, well, here to, to the founders out there, the CEOs or the one person shops, this is the great advantage of being the leader, not a leader, is you get to build the world's best culture. You get to build it. Your first hire is the most important hire. Your second hire is the second most important hire. And, you know, if you, if you hire competency and overlook character or overlook chemistry, yes, and that's some basics like 1980s leadership, character, competency, and chemistry, uh, but it's incredibly important and there is an order to it. I'll take character first, then does this person fit with the team chemistry, then what is their competency? And you have to have all three, but I've had some competent people that we know we really have this role, this really big need, but if the chemistry and character don't fit, if they're not values aligned or yeah. virtue aligned, uh, then it will not work for the long term and you will eventually regret it. So outsource it, find a partner, find a business, a subcontractor. Uh, if you're not sure, there's someone yeah. in 2020 that can do the function, but to build a team, you've got to have the right, the yeah. right chemistry and character. And, and that's what, that's what builds the culture. So, um, so I'd say if there's someone you've had authentic, honest, humble conversations with that is not fitting you got to move them on to different, a different organization and they'll yeah. eventually appreciate it. But your organization's too valuable to not have the leader at the top and then the top team be aligned in chemistry and culture. Yeah. I remember Yvonne Chouinard talking about that in the, how I built this podcast where he was talking about the culture he created and that often that was the main thing that 
would be the difference was they just didn't fit this very unique culture. It was very different. Like they would take off Saturdays to go surf if the weather was right. And they had to get why they would do that, you know? Right. Um, but he would also talked about that he would turn that into also a way that he loved that person, that he would help them think through what the next job could be and maybe even give them a recommendation because he thought you will fit better somewhere else. Yep. Not my way or the highway. It's that like somewhere else you'd be happier too. Yep. You'd be thriving over there better than you're thriving here because they match your values. Yeah. Yeah. Do you guys have, I'm sure you do, but I'd love to hear, do you guys have core kind of values that guide oh, this culture that you built? That's a, that's a softball question right there. Just laying it up there for me. I gotcha. Uh, yes. Okay. So, uh, two years into the organization, I read a book saying basically you need to pick values, had a hundred of them, narrowed down to 10, narrowed down to eight and so forth. So I chose our four and then we later added one a few years later, five values. Uh, a year ago, after two years of really thinking and pondering and wrestling and, and uh, talking to people, I felt like we, we shifted from, we, we changed our values from values to virtues. Mm. So as I dug deeper into what our values were thinking, I feel like we need to refresh these. I then stumbled. I said, well, if I'm refreshing, is values even what we want to call these? So let me give the backstory of it. This to me is the most significant thing we've done in the last few years. Um, because in an organization our size, where I have a, a home office of 80 or so, about 1,000 team members in the field, and they're all under about 24 different general managers, uh, we have team members living in 38 different states. So wow. uh, I can't see everybody. i got to create the culture, and what is the culture? How do you describe the culture? What are the adjectives of your culture? So our original values, I love them. Uh, I came up with them. Integrity, enthusiasm, leadership, results, and community. Love them. I started to see the word integrity on companies that I viewed did not have it. Uh, <laughs> enthusiasm, I've got it. It's a very seven Enneagram word, but uh, sometimes it can be misinterpreted. I want fantastic introverted team members on our team that don't have to look like me enthusiastic. Mm. They might come across it. So that word sometimes didn't make sense. Uh, we weren't attracting the holistic talent we wanted. Leadership's pretty generic, didn't have an, added, uh, an adjective in front of it. Results, that's an outcome, but that's kind of a table stake in business if we don't right, have it. Right. So yeah. I'm knocking these because I, I came up with them. And you give, me, <laughs> you give me 10 minutes, I'll convince everyone these are the best values ever. But the problem was they weren't distinctive enough yeah. and they weren't descriptive enough. So we were lacking on two fronts. I, what does it mean? Okay, people, people's eyes were glazing over when I gave a tour of the office. Here's our values. Like, okay, integrity, let's move on. Like, wait, our culture is so distinctive. Don't you get it? But they wow. also didn't describe who we were enough. Yeah. And I didn't want a, you know, six paragraph description of our culture that no one can memorize. I wanted someone that if we hired them day one, when they were in front of clients week two after training, they could uh, embody and live out our values. So I stumbled across an ancient word of sorts uh, that has a deep meaning a uh, long-lasting historic meeting, and the, and the word is virtue. Mm -hmm. And virtues are more descriptive. They're also, and this is what I love about them, they're more actionable and they're more aspirational. So mm -hmm. I can never fully achieve the, the virtue, but at the same time, I can do more every single day in that direction. So my wristband that I just took off has our six virtues, starting with gratitude, Virtue one, they're in a specific order on purpose. We call it the virtuous cycle. 
gratitude, wisdom, care, courage, grit, and celebration. Gratitude, wisdom, care, courage, courage, grit, celebration. So, I mean, almost every day you can wake up in the morning personally and say, what am I grateful for? I did it this morning. Mm. Uh, you know, when you begin your day with gratitude, the world changes. Your fears go away. You take the focus off yourself. But that's not enough. I need to grow in wisdom. So the, the element of humility and learning and, um, and growth, growth mm. mindset. How can I learn? Okay, now what do I do? Well, how can I care for others? We have a customer-centric organization. How do I care for my team? How do I care for my clients? How do I care for the culture? Uh, and then usually during the day, something happens that challenges you and you need courage to overcome mm. it, right? Right yeah. now, we're in the middle of the biggest crisis and pandemic, economic health race in my lifetime. Uh, lots of crisis. We need a lot of courage. But you can't just decide once. You need a lot of persistence, determination, perseverance, resilience. So we call that grit. And then you know what? Every once in a while, when you achieve some goals and to build culture to recognize the unique ability of people and accomplishments, you want to celebrate. And then when I'm done with a good celebration, whatever that looks like, I walk away after the confetti's fallen or a trophy's been given or a high five's been given, and I feel a sense of gratitude. Yeah. And, and then the cycle begins again. So I, I literally begin my day thinking about those personally, but professionally, those six virtues replaced our values because they're more descriptive and distinctive and because they're aspirational and actionable. So like take gratitude. I never can be the most grateful person ever, but I can write a handwritten note or send a text every single day. Right. 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 So man, that we just, yeah, we kicked like off that. a campaign and our team is, uh, bought into it and um, and it's it's just taken us to an entirely different level of cultural depth that we never thought we could have yeah. so it's been been amazing and that is that is really good and I think uh, we've referred to I think even in passing a lot of uh, Lencioni's book uh, the advantage and he, he does refer to different yeah. like value missteps like hey yes. if they're only aspirational and they're not actionable then they're not all that good because we can't embody them Yep. And then, hey, what if you've got table stakes values? And I love that thought. That's actually, that's new to me. And I, I even want to do my own chewing on it to go, hey, Same. take a, a level uh, level deeper towards virtues in that actionable and aspirational space. I think that's a beautiful thing. Uh, I think it's very powerful. And they, uh, they, seem, they seem timely and timeless, which I love. Yep. You know, I want yep. my great grandkids to be like, man, wisdom. That's cool because you know what? My great, great grandfather loved wisdom so mm, there's a yeah. sense in which it, it it takes it out of just the company like man this whether you're with us for a month or 10 years or 50 years this yeah, is going to add value to your life if you grow in wisdom what do i want you to take away from working with our company as a human as a person is take away these virtues and, and live a yeah. more virtuous life that's what we need in the world right now right more yes virtuous leaders living out those traits every day yeah uh so that's kind of my that's why it would be my next question that i have for you is all right, so we're in like the the COVID season where we're now doing the social distancing thing. Um, the the question I have for you is almost I want to see your unique take because the question is like, hey, what's your most consistent and present problem that you're facing right now? That's like, hey, we're we're all facing COVID, but almost like your unique yeah. flavor. <laughs> you know, what's that most consistent present problem for you for the business? What's that for you in this moment right now? Cash because we lost. Uh, 19 plus million in revenue when the unthinkable happened. Uh, even when we imagined 
worst case scenarios, we would never think that every elementary school in America would be completely closed. Yeah. I mean, we imagine that what if there was a law that outlawed fundraising or what if the government gave so much support for schools that they wouldn't need fundraising? Well, that'd be amazing for America, maybe bad for our business. That's okay. But schools need money. We're diversified in 50 states. We have 4,500 clients. So if things shift in one area of the country, but I mean, who could imagine a worldwide pandemic that shut down every client we have so when revenue goes to zero uh you know we got we got punched in the mouth so uh and and i think you know we're the hardest hit of we have not had revenue since uh well a little bit of ar but programs shut down march the 13th friday the 13th yeah um, we cannot wait for schools to open up again yeah open Uh, the schools so that's, uh, you know, that you think you're diversified. And, I, you know, I've said I've talked in leadership or entrepreneurial podcasts or groups or uh, conferences. And, you know, I've said the phrase and I believed it. I didn't know how that, hey, be grateful, entrepreneurs. It could all be gone tomorrow. Yeah. Well, I don't know how that would happen with us, but, you know, but I believe it. Well, <laughs> here we go. Every single Dang. client just completely stopped. Dang. So. So that's, uh, I want to ask this question because I think it's just, uh, it, it's just testing like, Hey, what do you do about it? But like, what's the way that you go about solving it in the midst of you, you actually can't do very many things. What are you doing? Is like, yeah. Yeah. Well, you can, you can do a lot. Yeah. So hopefully, um, you know, you heard our, someone probably tuned me out some entrepreneur in their basement. When I said, Oh, we have a thousand team members like, Oh, that's, we'll never get to that stage. Well, hopefully I won back a little credibility that I, I haven't brought in revenue <laughs> in 90 days. And now I'm scrapping and uh, I'm that's back good. with you. You know, uh, entrepreneurship is at my heart and core and you know, it's, it is now infused in the entire organization. Yeah. So the first thing we did is we assessed our clients. We're there to serve them. We exist because of them. So what are our clients needs? What are they thinking about? Not thinking about how can we serve them? We created a digital program uh, where they can do boosterthon at home and they can do fitness fun runs at home. And that was kind of the, the summer play. We, we thought of course schools would reopen in the spring. Uh, yeah. then of course they did not So we've had schools, <laughs> uh, choose to run our program in the late spring and even in the summer virtually. Um, mm-hmm. we have spent so much time and effort and this is the advantage of 18 years and working with thousands and thousands of clients. We've innovated so many times you know, a school in Boston, a school in San Francisco, a school in St. Louis, a school in South Florida. You know, we don't have an outdoor classroom. There's no room. What about a parking lot? What about a visual? What about a digital or media center? So we've done it. So we basically pulled together every different option we've ever run. Wow. And then asked ourselves, are there other options maybe we haven't run, but we could. So this is crazy. This is a crazy number, but I, I love this and I challenge you about it to do it. I, you know, optionality, customization, personalization is, has never been more needed than right now. And if you want to meet a customer when they are, just put yourself, this is the one exercise I tell every entrepreneur to do. Yeah. Put yourself in the client's seat. Do the client journey. We, we miss that. That's at the end of the day, it all comes down to when that other person walks in our door to our cash register, when that other person goes online to our website, when that other person answers the phone. We just rarely put ourselves in the seat of others. And that's, that's yeah. just a great principle in life, right? Put yourself in someone else's shoes. Great EQ training right? too. Yeah. EQ, humility, wisdom. But man, we did that. So you walk into Starbucks. Starbucks has worked very hard. There's 80,000 drink options, but mm. they've worked hard to simplify the menu where you basically go left to right, hot or cold, 
venti or tall, like you kind of work your way across. Like, oh, that was simple. Well, there's 80,000 options. Well, we have 550,000 program options for our fun run. That's how many, if you multiply every possible yeah. option. Wow. Uh, indoor, <laughs> outdoor, uh, socially distanced or large yeah. groups, digital, virtual, classroom versus cafeteria. Hmm. Uh, and will, will we use all of them? No, but, and we don't want to overwhelm our clients and say, here's 550,000, but we, we ask questions. Sales is about learning what the client's true needs are, valuing their time, and then presenting them with options that are best for them and, and best for us, our staffing model. It has, it has to be win-win. We got to be able to serve them with excellence. I can't make a promise that I can't fulfill. So optionality is huge. And yeah. this has just caused us to be more innovative than ever before and question, could we do this and could we not? And our awesome. clients, uh, they're, they're already responding with, we didn't think you could do that. We love that yeah. option. So coming yeah. out of it, we'll be stronger than ever because we have yeah. more ways we can serve our clients. Yeah. The talent team, the culture, I mean, that brings me a lot of confidence, but that is, that's getting punched in the chin. And so thanks for, for going there. And I like yeah. 550,000 options. I did not, I, I could not have imagined that. Um, I want to hit our lightning round. I know we're tight, tight on time. Let's hit our lightning round questions. Uh, so question number one, we've got for you. If you could ingrain one message into your organization, hmm. what would it be? Into my organization, it would be our virtues over and over and over. I rarely get on a mic or a video or a meeting and don't somehow remind people of our virtues. I think it was C.S. Lewis that said people need to be reminded more often than instructed. Yeah. So, you know, don't patronize people. Don't act like they've never heard it. At the same time, don't act like they think about it as much as you do. Yeah. So uh, I've never heard anyone say my boss over communicates. I've heard yes. many people say, I don't have clarity. Where are we going? What are we doing? So, I mean, I think two thirds of my day is communication, listening or talking, being in groups, popping in for 10 minutes, large groups, small groups. So, yeah. uh, so now the phrase earlier on in the conversation, when you said about virtuous leader, yeah. that now makes more sense to me because you're right. referring to them embodying these virtues, embodying the virtues. That's right. That's, That's what awesome. I want our team to be, be a virtuous leader. Uh, boom. Question number two, what's the single best advice you ever got in growing your business mm. and the worst? Well, when I was in grad school in Kentucky, after I graduated Sanford, um, my mom is a college professor. My dad's an attorney. We value education. We work now booster works in school. So uh, I love educators and education. And I called lots of people and said, I feel like I have to make a decision. My wife's pregnant. My, with our now 15 year old. Uh, I have schools that want our services all over the country, but my grad school is in Louisville, Kentucky. I, I have a pretty high capacity. I can't be in three places at once. What do I do? Everybody said, you need to finish your education. And that's probably great advice for most people. Let me make sure I'm, I'm communicating this. But one person said, oh, you have the most rare commodity in the world and it's called momentum. And if mm. you lose your business momentum, you're not gonna get it back. If you tell all those clients, wait two years till I graduate with my master's degree, you will not get it back. You can go back for your master's degree. And I ten years took a 10 year break and I ended up going back and finishing my master's. Uh, but momentum, if you Whoa. see it, if you feel it, fuel it, run after it, don't slow down and think about it and strategize. You got the momentum, charge towards it. The wind does not always blow uh, in your sales and when it's blowing, man, take it, keep it going. 
Dude, wow. That's money. Yeah, that's good. Uh, the worst advice I got is the same, which is, uh, hey, you should pause and, you know, basically ignore the momentum. So Yeah. Oh, that's wow. gold. Um, man, what's the secret fear that keeps you up at night? Mm. I'm not a very fear-based person. Um, faith-based, uh, optimistic, but uh, being real, of course, there's moments that fear – uh, letting people down, letting my team down, making a decision, whether it's too aggressive or too conservative. Sometimes that's a bad decision as well. Um, in an unknown, I like the unknown. It's fun when you're an entrepreneur, let's try and see, but man, what if I let my family down, my team down, my clients down? Mm. Cause I make, I make the wrong decision. I don't get paralyzed with decision-making. Uh, but I do feel every day, man, people are depending on me. I mean, especially my team, their family, yeah. You know, it, I have to remind myself, had some good coaching of friends, like, hey, don't be arrogant. Don't be prideful. Yeah. They don't solely depend on you, right? Man. So, that, like, right. you're right. But I feel a very healthy responsibility as a CEO, founder, yeah. owner to, to take care of my team in as many ways as I can. I mean, you do That's have it. an unusual cascade effect, right? Like, we can't, yeah. we can't get around that. Like, someone in your position, the decisions have a, have a cascading effect. Leadership matters. Leadership yeah. matters. And what's the dream outcome you're driving towards every day? Dream result. Oh, man, I want to serve every school in America. Yeah. There's 100,000 elementary schools. There's 30,000 middle schools, 15,000 high schools. Um, I want to serve every school in America, and then I want to help every other organization that's raising funds do it in a more efficient, more effective way outside of schools. It might, it yeah. might take my lifetime just to conquer elementary schools and then middle, uh, yeah. but education – uh, and the words of Nelson Mandela is the most powerful weapon we can use to change the world. So right. I want to empower the educators by helping fund uh, the resources they need. Love that. All right, final question. If you could hop in a DeLorean, you go back for five seconds to your past, you got to shout one thing to yourself from the driver window. When would you go back? What would you say? Oh, man, me and Marty McFly. What would I set the date to? Gosh, that's so good. Man, you know, as a as a futurist, I kind of want to go to the future and get a snapshot. <laughs> get a snapshot. <laughs> nope. Can't Forget do the it. Past. Go to the future. Right. <laughs> right. Um, you know, I think I would just, gosh, is there exact moment? I mean, I've, I've, I've been so blessed in life in so many ways. Um, it's not, I don't really have any big regrets and that's, uh, I've, I've always been, you know, thoughtful to plan, I had an amazing wife and kids. Um, but you know, in specifically for business, you're always, wrestling through things you think things are the end or the beginning or the yeah. you get a year or two removed you're like that wasn't that bad i mean now that i'm in the fight of our life again i'm like you know eight nine and ten recession that's nothing compared to this that's nothing compared right? to this like but yeah. you know so i think the reminder and it's what i'm reminding myself daily is this struggle is going to be good for me this is developing my character yeah and that's what i tell myself at eight nine and ten hey it's gonna stink you're gonna sacrifice and take a pay cut and it's going to be a long couple of years. Well, you know what though? That built my courage and it built my grit and it makes me more resilient in this season where I need it. Wow. So I think I just whisper into my ear, Hey, this terrible COVID health, economic implications, um, all the crisis in America right now, you know what? If you view it the right way, this is for your good. This struggle will pay off and develop your character. So don't forget it. Tell them myself right now. I feel better. Boom. Boom. Chris, Chris nice. some of the best answers to our lightning round questions we've had yet.
Unbelievable. Uh, man, and just interview. So again, thank you for your time. Your, your seven enthusiasm shown through, but uh, you are a man of deep wisdom and you've created something again, back to the beginning, your people speak for itself. So more than you getting on here and talking about your culture, the people that we've met are a result of it. And uh, man, keep doing what you're doing. Thank you for doing the work and creating a place, not only of impact to the end customer, but also a place of impact for people to come and have a, have a work and uh, be developed as, as young men and women uh, alongside your organization. So, buddy, thank That's you for right. all that you're doing. Well, a shout out. If there's any uh, virtuous leaders out there that want to help us serve some schools and change the world. Where can uh, they go? Love to where meet can them. They, where can Shoot. they go to, to find out? Yeah, choosebooster.com is our website. And there's a spot they can um, apply and meet people, learn first, learn more. We might not be the, the great fit. I don't want to waste a, a moment of anyone's life, but I want to yeah. partner with world changers and, and do it together, build a culture and serve our clients. So, yeah. hey, yeah. thank you guys for what you're doing. This is awesome. so needed. I mean, a coach, someone to look at outside you, what's it like outside of me, right? And to do that with the way in which you guys do it, your posture, your humility, your wisdom, you, you have the benefit of aggregating best practices and wisdom and flaws and failures from so many people. So, I mean, I love your work. And when you can say, hey, I worked with an organization and they made this mistake. Have you thought of this? I mean, it's just gold. So wow. thanks for your impact you're having. Keep doing it. You're helping lots of organizations. Thank you, buddy. Okay, friends. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed it. Head to 0to5000.com for exclusive tools to grow your business. That's Z-E-R-O-T-O-5000.com.